Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Marcus Chown with us as we will be talking about all things space. What is it about the universe that excites you, Marcus? I suppose the, the most exciting thing for, for me at the moment is that we can only see 2.5% of it. Okay, so we've now discovered incredibly after 350 years of science mm-hmm. that... The visible stuff, the, the stars and galaxies, the planets, you know, you and me, accounts for 5% of the universe, 5% of the mass of the universe. And only half of that 5%, 2.5%, if we actually see with our telescopes. The rest of it, we think it might be invisible gas between the galaxies. So only 5%. And it turns out that there is about um, 25% it's what we call dark matter, okay? We, we, we know it's out there because we can see it pulling on the visible stuff. So we see all the visible stars and galaxies yeah. moving in ways we would not expect. So we say there's stuff that's got gravity, but we literally can't see it. And about 70% is what we call dark energy, and that was only discovered in 1998. Can you believe it? The major mass component of the universe we didn't know about until 1998, which is like 22 years ago. Um, and, and we've got really very little idea what dark energy and dark matter are. So really, we're in this weird position. Imagine if Darwin uh, was, was going to come up with his theory of evolution, and he only knew about frogs and snakes, but he didn't know about insects, and he didn't know about fish, or, or most of the things in the animal kingdom. I mean, what kind of theory would he have concocted? Exactly. So we've got a theory of cosmology, and it, we, have, we only, you know, it's based on the 2.5% the or the 5% that we can see. So I think that's pretty amazing that most of the universe is invisible. Uh, so if anyone think out there, if any kids who want to go into science and they think it's all sewn up and there's nothing more to do, we don't, we don't actually know what most of the universe is made of. So I find that very, very exciting. And when you say it's invisible, but it's there, does that yeah. mean in theory if you launched a rocket toward it, could you crash into it? You couldn't crash into it because one of the one of its characteristic is that it doesn't give out light. Okay, so what we mean is it doesn't interact with light, uh, and light is a product of what we call the electromagnetic force. So it doesn't interact with the electromagnetic force. So the electromagnetic force um, is responsible for kind of the repulsion. So the reason that if you try, I don't know, if you put your hand on a on a on your cab of your vehicle or on a, on a desk. You can feel your it. Your fingers don't go through that desk. It's because there's a repulsion, an electric repulsion between the electrons in the atoms in your fingers and the electrons in the atoms in, your, in the table, okay? Now, dark matter doesn't feel that. It doesn't, doesn't experience that. So literally, you would fly straight through the dark matter as if it wasn't there, you know? So, so you okay. wouldn't crash into it at all, you know? So, I mean, so the dark matter, as far as we know, the dark matter is in the, you know, it's in the studio where you're actually, uh, you know, talking to me from. It's in the room where I'm talking to you from. It's, it's everywhere, um, but it doesn't interact with normal matter. So it doesn't bump into normal matter in any way, and that's why we can't, we can't detect that. that. That's strange. How, how do we know it's there? Simply because we can, well, if you, if you say... I'll go back to um, my book, The Magicians, because the first magician was a guy called Urban Le Verrier, and he deduced that there had to be another planet because there was a planet Uranus, or Uranus, however you like to pronounce it, and it wasn't orbiting the sun in the right way. It was, it was weird, it's it all bit. So he, 
he postulated that there had to exist another planet further out whose gravity was pulling on on Neptune and perturbing its orbit. And he predicted the existence of Neptune. Well, dark matter is simply the Neptune of, of today. You know, we see things moving. So, for instance, we see stars orbiting around the cores of their galaxies, and they're moving too fast by rights. They should be flying off into intergalactic space. So what we infer is that there's more matter whose extra gravity is gripping onto them. So it's rather like, it is just like Neptune, you know, because things are moving, we see things moving in a way that we cannot explain from the visible stars and gravity, mm-hmm. and their gravity, stars and galaxies and their gravity. We infer that this stuff is around. So there's about six, six times as much dark matter as there is ordinary matter. That's amazing. Now, you could, you can figure out what it is. There's a Nobel Prize waiting for you in Stockholm. You got that right. Could could there be life out there on the dark matter? That is a fantastic question, because I, I uh, one of the one of the um, the default position of physicists is they think the dark matter might be made of some subatomic particle we haven't found. Okay, so they, they think it's amorphous. You know, it's just all all made of just one thing. But the, one, the thing that we know about ordinary matter is it's not made of one thing. It's made of 92 different elements, all the way from hydrogen to you know, uranium naturally occurring. And, it, and, it, uh, and, it, and it, these pieces come together to make molecules, to make life, to make planets. So what we, one thing we know about ordinary matter is that it clumps into complex organization. So who knows? The dark matter could similarly be made of lots of different particles which clump together, as you just said, to make maybe dark stars, dark planets, dark life, you know. Could that be the answer to why we have, after searching since, well, for 50 years, searching for signals from extraterrestrials, we've never found them. Could it be that all the activity is in the dark matter? You know, could it be there's all this activity going on all around us and we can't see it? Who knows? I mean, but uh, in theory... Could planets collide? Could a planet that we see collide with a planet that is in the dark matter stage? It certainly could, but the, 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 yeah, a, that's a good question. That's a good question. Um, if the, one of the problems with um, at the moment, one of our problems is that why did why do planets form? You know, why does why do stars form? You know, why does material shrink to form? You know, from gas clouds to form stars and planets. Right. Okay. Throughout so the, the entire the, universe. I mean, it's uniform. Yeah, I'm just going to make a comparison. I'll tell you why dark matter may not clump. Uh, the reason it can do that is because, well, first of all, if you have a big cloud of gas in space, it's warm. And the warmth of the gas pushes outwards against gravity, right? So that the, the thing can't collapse because gravity's trying to squeeze it, but the hot gas inside is pushing outwards. Okay, so the only way it's going to collapse is if it loses that internal heat. Now, normal matter, what actually happens is it radiates. It radiates what we call microwaves, um, which is a, a kind of light that we can't see. And that light or heat escapes from the cloud. So because normal, normal uh, matter radiates, the interior of gas clouds is robbed of heat. So gravity in there can then crush it. Now, dark matter does not interact with light. It does not produce what we call electromagnetic radiation. So it has no way of removing its internal heat. So as far as we can tell, 
uh, it can't shrink or collapse in the same way as ordinary matter. So when we, when we uh, infer its existence, so for instance, if you think about our Milky Way, I don't know if everyone's got a picture of our galaxy, but it's kind of like a, like a whirlpool of stars, you know, a flat whirlpool of stars. We believe that the dark matter is actually a spherical cloud hmm. in which the Milky Way is embedded. Because although the, the, the ordinary matter could collapse, could shrink down to form this flat spiral, the dark matter couldn't because it couldn't get rid of its heat. And if you can't get, if you can't get rid of its heat, gravity can't crush it. Now, so that, that kind of contradicts the thing that I just told you about, uh, about uh, uh, how we could have dark stars and right. dark planets. But of course, it's quite possible that there is another type of light, dark light. You know, there is another interaction other than the electromagnetic interaction, maybe dark light, and that dark matter could collapse because of that reason. That, that, that reason. But, but, but we think that, that um, yeah, so, so that's why. Now, would, would, would a, so if, if, if it were possible to, to have a dark matter planet and it, and it did collide with the Earth, I think we, we would feel it. You would think <laughs> that's so. That's a difficult question. Hmm? You would think so. Let's talk about the Big Bang for a moment, Marcus. Yeah. My gosh, how could something create itself from nothing? I still don't Nobody understand knows. it. Nobody knows. No. <laughs> will, will, will we ever get the answer? Hard to, hard to tell. Um, I mean, what, what, what we can do, is, which is incredible, I mean, you, you know, remember that we are uh, an ape that arose on an African plain three million years ago with a brain, a three-pound brain, you know, made mostly of jelly and water, and yet, with our telescopes, we've seen to the edge of the observable universe. Uh, we, can, um, we can see what the universe is made of, about two trillion galaxies, uh, two million million galaxies like our own. And we, have an idea, we, we also have an idea that because it, that all the galaxies are flying apart from each other, they must have been closer in the past. And if we, if we run that kind of movie of the universe's expansion backwards, you know, like a movie in reverse, we come to this time. 13.82 billion years ago, when everything was compressed into a smaller uh, region, the Big Bang. So we know that's correct. We know that's correct. But as for, you know, you, you, you always come back to this fundamental question. How did something come from nothing? I know. It's, it, it's just, uh, and you go crazy answer, thinking of it. Yeah, the answer is that we don't really know that. Uh, but I would tell you that in the, in the modern picture, which is we bolted on some other ideas onto the Big Bang. Okay, so the, the Big Bang model now has a few other things bolted on. It has dark matter bolted on. It has dark energy bolted on. And another thing it has bolted on is what we call inflation. And in this picture, the, dark, the, the Big Bang is not a one-off. So it's not the only Big Bang. So these, these Big Bangs are going off all across this huge universe, rather like firecrackers, you know, randomly. So we are just one. You know, we're just in, in the vicinity of, of one of these, these big bangs. Religious people, um, Marcus, will say God did it and leave it at that. Yeah. Well, the problem with that, the problem with adding inflation is you just push back the, the problem because you, you say, well, yes, there was something before the big bang because there was what we call this inflationary vacuum. And when it decayed randomly, it was expanding and it decayed, those decays were big bang universes. But it turns out that inflation itself had to have a beginning. So although you've said, well, okay, there was something before the Big Bang, 
you know there was what we call inflation and there were other big banks, you still get to the point that inflation had to begin as well. Well, I don't know. I mean, the problem with it, I mean, again, that isn't really, uh, uh, I mean, you can believe that God created it if you like, uh, but obviously that's not the preserve of science because um, in, one of the, one of the uh, characteristics of science is that you put very little in and you get a lot out. So, for instance, you have a law of gravity, which you can write on the back of a stamp, and that explains tons of stuff. It explains how, how planets are formed and stars, it, it, how they orbit uh, stars, how stars orbit in galaxies. Tons of stuff comes out from a tiny, tiny little thing. So you, you, you get a lot out, you put very little in. With the God explanation, you have to put a lot in to get a lot out. In fact, God has to be more complicated than your universe. So it's kind of the obverse of science. So you can believe that, but, I mean, it isn't really the preserve of science, you know, um, because science doesn't work that way. Will we get a scientific explanation? Um, I hope we will get a scientific explanation because... Because basically, I mean, let's go back to Newton. Newton was an incredibly religious man. And the reason he did science was he because, because he believed he was getting an insight into the mind of God. That's what drove him. Because he wanted to know how God had um, put the universe together. So he, he didn't see any conflict whatsoever. You know, he thought, I'll, I'll figure out how, you know, I want to figure out how God did this. So, you know. That's one way of thinking about it. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.